All right. So we're going to continue going through um, Ezekiel through my kind of my favorite section of the book of Ezekiel. So if you want to start turning to Ezekiel chapter 37, you can start turning there now. But first, you may want to start turning toward Ephesians chapter 2 because we're going to we're going to start there first. So Ephesians chapter 2 and Ezekiel 37. Um, when we left off last week, we were talking about the joy of having a new heart that God had put in us and the joy of knowing salvation and the joy of being saved and the joy of being added to the church and the joy of being in fellowship with the body of Christ. And we were talking about that amazing feeling that we get from going from being from being dead in our sins, lost and, and gross, right? We talked about, about how we're, given, we're basically given, given a shower and clean clothes when we're saved. And we get this kind of euphoric feeling that comes with knowing the hope of the truth of the gospel, right? It, it completely changes the way we feel. It changes the way we look. It changes the way we act. It changes the things we want. And we talked about the joy that we as believers ought to have in being saved, the joy that we have in knowing who we were when we were dead in our sins and the joy that we now have now that we've been given a new heart by Jesus. This is our greatest joy, knowing Jesus. We have joy because Jesus has conquered our sin and Jesus has conquered death. All right, I'm done. That's all I have to say today. Let's pray. Let's go. Let's sing more. No, but here we go. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 2, this is one of my favorite sections of the Bible. If you're ever looking for a whole paragraph to memorize, this is it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is exactly what we've been talking about. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's where we were last week when we were talking about having a heart of stone and God punishing his people and sending them out. That was where they were. That was the place that they were in. That's the place that we were in. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you feel that? Do you understand the joy that that is saying? You were dead. We were dead. We had no hope. Everything was bad. Like we said last week, we had a heart made of stone. We had no real desires. We only desired to chase after, after things that, that made us feel good in the moment. But we didn't chase after God. We chased after sinful things. We had no hope but God stepped in because of his mercy and his love and his desire to make his name great, like we said last week. This is our joy. 
that God has given us new hearts, that God has chosen us to be his people, that God has taken us out of that former life and knit us together as a family, as a body of believers, as, as, as one unit working our way forward. This is our joy. And we as the church, we as those who are saved, ought to feel that joy flowing through us, coursing through us all the time. If you, it, whenever you're, you're not feeling it, whenever I'm not feeling it, this is the kind of passage that I go to, the one that says, yeah, that's where you were. But remember what Christ did. And this is the whole point of why I love this passage that we're going to be in in Ezekiel 37 today. Because, because our whole story, right? What, what was it he said? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead. Dead. I don't know about you, but dead things don't seem to have a whole lot of hope. Dead things don't seem to have a whole lot of motivation to just get up and do something. You were dead. That was where we were. And our whole story, the whole story of, of salvation, the whole history of Jesus, of Jesus making that, that sacrifice so that we could be brought together and made into the sons and daughters of God, that we could be made into this family. This whole story is a story of life-giving. It is a story of dead things being made alive. Look at the very beginning. From the start, God has been a life-giver. He has created life, that that life might bring glory to him, but, but our whole story from, from beginning to middle to where we are now as we look forward to where we're headed is a story of life-giving. It's a message of, of the hope that we can find even though we are dead, even though we have no hope, we ought to not see things as hopeful. We have a God who is a life-giver and he is changing us and he is making us alive. And that is what Ezekiel chapter 37 is all about. So if you're in Ezekiel chapter 37, I'm going to read 14, the first 14 verses. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I just love this picture. So Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and, the, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. This is just an amazing picture of God the life giver taking what seemed like a hopeless valley filled with dry bones. When, he, when he's talking about it, it's like he's looking out over, over the, the remains of a battle. And everyone who's fought and died was just left there and forgotten with nothing else, with no hope. And they've been forgotten for a long time. There's nothing left but a valley filled with dry bones. And, and God asks this question of Ezekiel. He says, can these bones live? Why is he asking that question? What is the point of him asking that question? What does he really mean? What is, what is the, the, the motivation behind that? What he's asking is, hey, Ezekiel, are these bones able to do anything for themselves? Can these bones decide, we're going to kind of form back together, and we're going we're to cover ourselves with flesh again, and we're going to stand up, and we're going to start walking around. Can these bones do that? Are they capable of, of fixing themselves? Are they capable of picking themselves up and making themselves into something? And Ezekiel, that would be a hard question. He'd be like, uh, seems like no would be the right answer, right? When you look at it, it's like, that seems like a no. But what does he say? Oh, Lord, you know. Only you know. Basically what he's replying rightly is to say, God, if these bones are going to live, if these bones are going to do anything, it's only going to be because you make it happen. He's basically saying, that's up to you. I can't make that call. So for those of us, those of us who are dead in our trespasses, those of us have been dead in our sin, can we just live on our own? No, we can't. It's only by the power of God, by, by God taking out that old heart of stone and giving us that new heart of flesh that we talked about last week. It's only by God doing something, speaking over us, bringing us together, making us into something that is alive. Because, because, because dry bones can't do anything for themselves. Just, just, like, just like a sinner lost in their sins can't do anything to save themselves. They have no hope except that Except, what would we read? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Him. He made us alive. He brought us together and raised us up. That's what salvation is. That's what's happened in your life if you are saved. That is what He has done for you. You had no hope. We were hopeless. We were wandering aimlessly through a broken world with no hope, no desire to do anything for the glory of His name. And God, because He loves us, decided to do something about it. That is an amazing, amazing feeling. That is an amazing, amazing thing for us to realize as the church, as the body of Christ, what Christ has gone through to make us into who we are. So can these bones live? Are they capable of doing anything on their own? No. Only God can affect those change, that change. And then what does it describe happening? It says, the bones came together 
and the flesh covered them and all that. So they kind of came back in and became bodies, but, but that wasn't the end. There, he said there was no breath in them. There was no, there was no life in them, right? They had, to be, they had to be filled by the breath of God. God, had to, God hadn't fully made them alive. Sure, he could create them. He created physical things. I mean, think back to creation, right? Think back to creation. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Right? He made him, but it didn't mean anything until the second half. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Right? We're not just looking for some sort of physical restoration. Sure, there's a valley filled with dry bones there, but, but just to serve them physically, just to make them back into bodies, they're still dead bodies. That means nothing for them. Right? right. God, God yes, he, he physically restores them. Yes, he brings them back together. Yes, he physically puts them into to community with one another, right? Because he says they raise up and they're like a great army. He brings them together in that way. But it really doesn't mean anything until God gives them life. If he didn't, if he didn't give them breath, if he, didn't give them, if he didn't give them life, then they're just going to sit there and they're going to decay again. But, but when God saves us, when God gives us a new, a, new, a new heart and new desires, he gives us new life. He brings us to life. And he gives us this breath with which we can now proclaim his glory and proclaim how amazing and wonderful he is and the amazing things that he's done in our lives and in our hearts. And I love this picture that it, when it says they came together and they stood up, that there stood before them an exceedingly great army. Think about what that picture means. It doesn't mean he gave them life and then they just kind of wandered around aimlessly having no purpose after that. When he gave them life, when, when he prophesied over them and this army rose up, an army comes together for a reason. An army comes together for a purpose. An army comes together at all, right? They aren't raised up as a bunch of individuals. They aren't raised up as a bunch of, of people who are now just going to wander off and never see each other again. They're raised up as a group with a purpose, with a mission. I'm not saying they're ready to go out and start like hacking down other armies or anything, but, but think of that picture that he's trying to give. They're raised up together with a mission. This prophecy that God then kind of begins to explain, this is what I'm going to do with my people Israel, has a double fulfillment. And most of the time when you look through Scripture and you're reading prophecy, there's usually going to be a double fulfillment. There's going to be something that happens right then and there that he's talking about. But there's also kind of a farther off in the distance kind of fulfillment that that picture is giving the people to realize when they get there. And so when he's saying, I'm going to bring my people Israel back in here, I'm going to raise them back up and make them into this great army for me, He's also talking about the future church that he's going to raise up to life from death, us, and he's going to raise us together and bring us together an exceedingly great army with one mission, and that's to take the glory and the, the glory of the gospel out with us into the world. And again, point to the hope that we have in Christ and see sin and death conquered again and again because of the power of what Christ has done. So, so it's not just that we're saved to be saved. It's not just, we're saved, that's good, check the box, mission accomplished, continue living life however you want to. When we're saved, we're saved with a purpose. When we're saved, we're brought together in a group. We're not, we're not saved to be individuals. We're saved to be knitted together with the body of Christ that we now go forward together with to see his name made great. 
We're saved into a family. We're saved into a body. We talked about this last week, right? When, when Israel was, was dead in their sins, what did God do? He sent them out of their community. Their punishment was they lost each other. They lost their identity. And the restoration, what did that look like? He brought them back together. The blessing was that they got one another again. And that's how we should think of, of life as believers, as li- of life as the church. Our blessing, one of our greatest blessings in being saved is that we get the church, we get each other. And we need to lean in to each other. We need to love one another. We need to serve one another. Because that's, we haven't been raised up from death to life just so we can go do our own thing. We need, we need each other. But that's the truth of the gospel. All of the gospel is a gospel of us being brought from death into life. John 5, 25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And what he's saying is there is a time coming when you're going to see this happening. I mean, he's, going to, he's talking physically you're going to see this because, because we know that when Christ died, when he finally gave up his spirit, that at that moment, there were pe- the ground shook and those who would have been dead came out and were walking around and talking to people. But again, double fulfillment. This is also pointing toward a time when after Christ has paid that sacrifice, when you're going to see people who have been dead in their sins being brought to life and walking around and talking about this amazing work that God has done in them. And that ought to be us. That ought to be the church. That ought to be what drives us, is that we look back and we see what we were. We were hopeless and we were dead. Having no way of raising ourselves up, having no way of fixing ourselves, having no way of mustering anything other than being dead. We couldn't make ourselves alive, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, has made us alive together with him, together with one another, together with the church, together with a purpose, together with a mission, together with a motivation and a goal to make his name great and to take his gospel out and make his name great among the nations. God doesn't just make us alive. He gives us a piece of himself. If you look back in Ezekiel, in verse 14, he says, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. We get God in us and with us, driving us and motivating us and moving us forward. What would it look like if the church, myself included, what would it look like if we all really understood what it, what it meant 
to be saved. If we all really saw the contrast between who we were and who we are, between what it felt like to be dead and what it feels like to be alive, to be, to be empty and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what would that look like? We've used these, we use these kinds of examples all the time. If somebody saved your life, what would that look like when you hung out with them after that? If somebody pulled you out of the way of a speeding car down the road because you weren't paying attention, what would your reaction to them be? Would you be like, meh, it's a thing? I don't think so. I don't think our reaction, if, so, if somebody pushed us out of the way of the falling piano, because I only think in cartoons, <laughs> that's the best laugh I get, is a falling piano? Awesome. Okay. I know where to take these jokes from now on. So somebody pushes us out of the way of the falling piano. What's your reaction? How do you live your life knowing that you should be dead? What does that look like in the life of, the, of a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and recognizes what they've been saved to and saved for? Right? Because what was God talking, what was his motivation last week? What was God's motivation for giving his people a new heart and saving them? This is interactive time. What was his motivation? Why did God say? For, for what reason did God save his people? For his own name's sake. To bring himself glory. We've been saved for the express purpose of glorifying our Savior. Glorifying our Creator. Glorifying our life giver. I'm not saying that we don't reap really awesome benefits for getting saved. I'm not saying it's not good for us. It is good for us. We get Jesus. We get salvation. We get the Holy Spirit. We get all of these things. But we were saved with the purpose, for the purpose of glorifying Him. And I ask you now, does your life bring glory to Him? Do you live like you were dead and you have been made alive? Do you, do you live like you were, you were pushed out of the way of that falling piano before it crushed you? Do you feel the joy that we get in knowing what salvation means for us? I, I, I can't help but smile as I read Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, made you alive. Do we feel like we've been made alive? Do we walk through our days feeling mostly dead still? with some mental recognition of salvation? Or do you feel like you were dead and you have been given life? You've been given hope where there was no hope. And does your life reflect this, this, this overwhelming sense of joy that comes from knowing salvation? Some of you, I would say, absolutely it does. I can't help but see it whenever I see you. I'm like, that person knows what it means to be alive. That person is filled with the Spirit. 
That's not true for all of us. We don't always all reflect that kind of realization. I want us to be a church that is, that is full of life, full of joy, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't just know how to say the things that have happened for us, but feels the, the deep, like, overwhelming sense of joy that comes from knowing Christ. Like, 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 we should be so excited that we know and get to talk about Jesus that that is all that we care about. That is our only motivation for anything that we do. And that that is an amazing feeling, and people are like, wow, they really like that guy. We ought to be living together as a family, right? Because like we said, he didn't just raise them up as individuals and then they went off. He raised them up an exceedingly great army. They were together. They were raised to life as a unit. And as we're given life, we ought to be life-giving to one another. Being around one another ought to not be draining. Being around one another ought to be life-giving. We ought to be encouraging one another and building one another up and, and continually sharing the truth of the gospel with each other so that each other are hearing the truth of the gospel over and over again and understanding the love of Christ. And in those moments when life is weighing you down, in those moments when things are going awful, in those moments when everything seems to be falling apart, we should lean into one another because somebody else still knows salvation and they can remind me what it feels like so that I can see that truth again and I can feel that hope again. That's why we're saved and brought together so that we've got each other's backs. We've got each other's support. We don't doubt that, that when I go out and I say this true thing about Christ and somebody ridicules me over it, that I can't, go, that I can't lean, turn around and see that I've got 15 other believers behind me saying, no, we're here with you. We're not going anywhere. That's what it looks like to get saved and added to this group together. That's why, that's why the blessing of God when He saved his, his people Israel was to bring them back together. They had each other. So we ought to rejoice that God doesn't save us to being individuals and just leave us on our own. He saves us to bring us together to make us a body, a family, a group. We get one another. That's part of our joy. We get Jesus. That's most of our joy. But we got to live like we feel that joy. We need, we need to speak like we feel that joy. We need to find joy in the things that are hard and difficult and frustrating. And be able to speak the truth of the gospel even in those moments when we're at our lowest or when we're at our weakest or when we feel like everything is falling apart. We need to remember, this is why I read these passages, we need to remember the truth of what has already happened to us and know that, that we can't be any lower than we were because we were dead. Doesn't get any lower than that. We were hopeless. So I don't know what everybody's going through. I don't know what pain and trial or tribulation or frustration or, or sadness or... I don't know what negative emotions and what negative things you're suffering through. I don't know everybody's story. I don't know everybody's complete story. But what I do know is, whatever you're in now, if you are in Christ, even though you're going through something awful, you're still not dead. 
You still have hope because you have Christ. And you still have joy because you have Christ. And you still have joy because you have the church. So don't, don't look at your situation and think, oh man, I'm not worth it. Everything stinks. I give up. If you've got Christ, then you have a beating heart. If you have a beating heart, you have a family. If you have that family, you have something to do with that family. And that is bring glory to God and take his gospel with him. Let's pray.